welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh Sequapim territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequapim Ulu. And today's text, Monkey Beach, takes place in and around Kitimat Village, BC, the traditional home of the Heisla First Nation. The author, Eden Robinson, is a member of both the Heisla and Hiltzuk First Nations. Mm-hmm. Joe. Yes. I have missed Eden Robinson very, very much. Oh, always nice to revisit, isn't it? So good. And so uh, just different from anything else we read, just in terms of honestly, yeah. like, like the literary cred <laughs> when we pick up an <laughs> Eden Robinson book. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to get treated well. Wow, you're so elitist. How dare you? <laughs> I know. Uh, And we're actually going to talk a little bit about that today because we had a question that came in to the mailbag from Spencer that actually ties in really well with today's episode. So Mm -hmm. we're going to we're going to talk about it there, but not quite yet. Uh, First, I'm going to tell you what Monkey Beach is about. How about that? Sounds good. Okay, so um, Monkey Beach, as we already said, set in Kitimat, BC, um, and it's the story of Lisa Marie Michelle Hill, who is uh, described by everyone as sort of feisty and fiery. Mm -hmm. She's been named after her Uncle Mick, who her family thought was dead, but was actually (laughs) just like away being a political rabble rouser. And we can see that lineage trace through to Oh, for sure. Yeah, she she is very much her uncle's niece. Absolutely. And the book itself, it plays a lot with time. So yeah. we start the book um, at the discovery that Jimmy has gone missing at sea and nobody knows why. And Jimmy is her younger brother who is kind That's of right. the favorite in the family. He was the kid who was on the swim team. He might go to the Olympics, like really had his stuff together. And Lisa was kind of the, I'm going to get into trouble. I'm not great at school. My parents worry about me. Yeah, she was a bit of a handful for her parents. <laughs> um, and the book jumps around from sort of Lisa at the beginning of the book, sort of sitting and waiting for news about her brother. Mm-hmm. And later in kind of the main timeline, she gets in her, she gets in a speedboat and she tries to go and find him, right. uh, get to her parents and find him. So that's like the main storyline. But most of the book is spent in memory. Yes, so, it's a lot of flashbacks jumping throughout yeah. time. Yeah, and so they go all the way back to their like very little childhood. They also spend a lot of time, she spends a lot of time thinking through kind of dropping out of high school and then going back into high school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of energy and attention is spent on the really, like, Lisa Marie has seen a lot of death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, everybody. This book is not a happy one. No, it has a very Shakespearean vibe in in that just a bit of a tragedy. Almost everyone dies or yep. some deaths are a little bit ambivalent, but like mm-hmm. you could argue that almost everybody dies. So yep. it can be at times a lot. But what's interesting, I think, in terms of the characterization is that we really do see Lisa struggling with this notion of like having a gift. So she mm-hmm. she sort of sees ghosts and she sees premonitions where the ghosts are spirits brenna yeah yeah absolutely and she she sees these 
sort of there's various figures that come to her when something bad is going to happen. Yeah. But it takes her a long time to figure out that that's what's happening. And also mm-hmm. at the same time, she's getting all these mixed messages. Like her parents are like, please stop. <laughs> with the they ghosts. do not want to deal with it. They're just like, no. you are being an unruly child. Please just cease and desist. And meanwhile, her grandmother, Mama U, is very much like, tell me about what you're seeing. Let's go into the forest. I will teach you the old ways. Yes. And so she really lives in this kind of tense intersection. And of course, in the background of all of this is the fact that Mama U sent some of her kids to residential school and not others. And there's Mm. this sense of like divide in the family between the people who were traumatized by that experience and the people who weren't and can't really understand it. And in some cases have then turned to Christianity, which is super upsetting Mm -hmm. for people like Mick, her uncle, who were deeply harmed by the residential schooling system. So there's like all of these layers of kind of like intergenerational trauma and the fact that Lisa doesn't know what to do with this gift. And so she ends up feeling super responsible for the deaths around her because she has these premonitions, but she can't always do anything about it. Right. And ultimately, I think, you know, that's what the book is about. It's about Well, it's a coming of age narrative, right? Like, I recognize one of the challenges people might have with this book is that in some ways, it's very new age, like Lisa is an adult, and she's reflecting back on her childhood. But so much of the book is YA, right? Like it's meant with her growing up and realizing, who am I? Who do I want to be around? Do I like boys? Do I want to do drugs? Do I hate my family? Do I love them? Like, to me, it's so quintessentially coming of age. I... I just think it's it's very impactful YA. Well, and the thing is, she seems like an adult, but the oldest she ever gets to within the frame of the narrative is 18, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of times, you know, the trauma that she goes through and the kind of the adultifying experiences that she has and trying to stop these horrible things from happening around her mm-hmm. make her seem a lot older than she is. And we'll talk about this when we get there, but I think that's a mistake the film makes is it leans into that way too hard. Yeah. But, like, something that happens to me a lot when I'm reading this book, especially in, like, the flashback things, is remembering that, like, oh, yeah, she's 13 here. Oh, she's Mm -hmm. 15 here. Like, Yeah, she's she's, so young. She's so young, and she's being faced with these extremely adult choices. And the fact that that means that, like, Jimmy can't possibly be any more than, like, 16 or 17 Mm -hmm. is also wild to me as he's talking about marrying his girlfriend and stuff. So, Or running off to join a fishing barge. When he's never actually been out on a boat. Yeah. And he likes swimming, but he doesn't actually like being outdoors. He's He gets described by Uncle Mick as an indoor cat. And I was like, oh, me too. (laughs) I am also an indoor cat. (laughs) Such a perfect description. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, the plot such as it is, I think, you know, well, well it's an Eden Robinson novel, right? So yeah. you're, you're like, okay, we can tell you what the plot is. But that's yeah. not at all the experience of reading this book. Because like, mm-hmm. I think I texted you halfway through when I was reading it and saying, you know, I'm having a little bit of difficulty getting into this, which I think I've said every time we've covered an Eden Robinson novel. <laughs> yes. And then when I get into it, I'm in love with it. Yes. But there's whole sections of this book, which is just talking about agriculture and Mm -hmm. animals and like it's a lot of flora fauna descriptions and it'd be easy to like i was initially just say what's the point of this it's a half page just talking about a different type of berry but Mm -hmm. it's really contextualizing you to a specific geography of canada but also it's informing us about the way of life right like the way Mm -hmm. that mama U looks at 
the world is completely different from a white settler colonialist perspective, right? And these kinds of passages help to give us as outsiders insight into that way of life. Well, and I think part of what makes it so important that those pieces are there is like Lisa Marie is learning in a way that her parents' generation really mm-hmm. didn't. Her dad a little bit, but for the most part, her parents' generation has like sought to distance themselves. And so right. she's actually learning this so that at the end, depending on what you think happens, because some critics read this as Lisa dies at the end and some critics yep. don't. Mm. If she dies at the end, then that compounds the tragedy, right? Because here's yep. this person who was learning all of this stuff that Mama U had to teach her and, and now then the she too is, is gone. gone. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think all of that stuff is is really important, and also it's hard for me to remember that this book was published in two thousand. Oh, really? It doesn't feel that old. No, it feels super contemporary. But if you think about how many books there were on the shelves by Indigenous writers in two thousand, mm-hmm. there were very few, right? And so <laughs> I need one hand. That's all. I, no, there's <laughs> yeah. probably more than that. But let's be honest, particularly within a Canadian context, like Eden Robinson, one of the first. Yeah, absolutely. And so you think about the ways in which she has the task of sort of orienting a settler audience Mm -hmm. to an indigenous style of storytelling, or more specifically, a Heisla style of storytelling. I think, you know, she's, she's asking a lot of readers, and she rewards us with these characters who we really come to care about, particularly Lisa Marie, Mm -hmm. that makes the tragedy of the, the text as a whole, all the more well, just it makes it all the more. <laughs> it's a really sad book. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's also really funny in parts, right? Like, oh, sure. Yeah. The teenagers are absolute goofballs. And the kinds of things that they get up to, and you're like, where, where is your adult? Where mm. is your adult? <laughs> there's no there's no adult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that comes back to a certain extent to some of the intergenerational trauma and the different ways that adults approach their their lifestyle, their livelihood, their parenting and that kind of stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. we do have some parents, like Lisa Marie's mom is very hands-on. Like she wants to be involved in her kid's life. She has almost a certain class system about how she wants the children to behave. And when that doesn't happen, she gets really angry and upset with them. And then we see some of the other adults, like Lisa has a cousin, Erica, and Erica's very prim and proper, but her mom is an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And she's almost never around and like not in that sort of supervisory capacity that we would come to expect. It's really telling who is quote unquote a good parent. I'm using air quotes for that. And who is not and what their situation was like, right? Like we're seeing all of the intergenerational trauma filtered through a child's eyes. And I think Lisa doesn't always understand why certain parents and adults behave a certain way. Like she thinks that Mick is super fun and she wants him to take her on the road with him mm-hmm. because he's out protesting. But what she doesn't really understand is that he's also getting thrown into jail. Yeah. He doesn't really have a solid future because he is so traumatized by what happened to him at these residential schools. And then you contrast that with Lisa's dad, Albert, who didn't have that experience. And he's like kind of stable, but also boring, quote unquote. Yeah, the dynamic between Mick 
and Lisa's dad is so interesting because Lisa's mm-hmm. dad is very much like the grown up, which yeah, yes. as you're you're yeah. right, it makes him boring. <laughs> so boring. Um, <laughs> Not the character, just like in no. Lisa's eyes. Totally in Lisa's eyes. And it's one of those moments when the book feels just intensely YA mm-hmm. because I get so frustrated with Lisa. Like, <laughs> Try to understand what your parents are saying to you and why. <laughs> he's actually a great dad. Like yes. look around you. <laughs> you take it for granted. <laughs> uh, we're getting old. I know. It's so true. I Well, I've said this on the show so many times, but like I realize when I'm siding with the parents just how old I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, we got a question in the mailbag from Spencer this week. Right. And well, actually, we got a lot of questions from Spencer this week, and some of these we will have to tackle another day. Like, what makes a book Canadian is something that we could write a dissertation about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some quick and dirty responses, but I think that's actually such a worthwhile question, particularly yes. because we do have international listeners, and I think we sometimes take that for granted. <laughs> yeah, we totally do. And in you know, in general, when we're looking for books, we're excited when an author, you know, self-identifies as Canadian or the locations are are Canadian. But sure, one of the questions in that email that Spencer asks is. How can we decolonize the way we think about Canadian children's and young adult literature? And I love Whoa. that question. Spencer. <laughs> really going for the hard-hitting ones, aren't you? Spencer's like, could you please uh, write an essay and send it back to me? No, I'm just teasing. Spencer, it's a really good question. Fantastic. And I think I wanted to bring it up in the context of us reading Monkey Beach today. Right. Because there's a couple of things that happened. So Monkey Beach was not published as YA. Mm-hmm. Right. It was published as sort of standard literary fiction. It uh, won the Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize, which is uh, the prize for the best sort of literary fiction book published in British Columbia in a year. It was nominated for the Giller and for the Governor General's Award. So we're talking about like significant non quote unquote genre awards for literary fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's something I find really interesting because I think, you know, in 2000, there wasn't really a market to sell a book like this in a YA context. But I also think that there's there's an aspect of publishing that is like, oh, it's about indigenous people, it's going to be tragic, it's literary fiction, right? Like there's a sort of lens that gets placed on it. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the ways that we can start to decolonize our approach to text is to revisit some of these books that were published as literary fiction mm-hmm. and think about them in terms of being a YA text. Like as Joe has oh. really cogently argued, like this is a coming of age story. Mm-hmm. It's very traditionally YA in the kinds of concerns that it raises. Yeah. And so, you know, I think taking indigenous fiction out of the box that publishing places it in and examining it in the context of you know different approaches to genre i think can be a really productive thing to do yeah i love that suggestion because that's definitely not something i would have thought to do like my (laughs) i'm such a basic boy (laughs) i was very much like well decolonizing is an incredibly difficult act to do like you and i both work in the university sector and for me we're good at fake decolonizing (laughs) well there's that and then to me the the real sort of call to action item is indigenizing so i think that that's actually something most of us can do which is like become more familiar with indigenous culture seek out indigenous people make connections with the community pay them for their expertise yes pay them pay (laughs) them (laughs) whereas decolonization is 
disruptive, right? Like it's more of the activism that Mick in this book and film would be interested in, where you're basically tearing down established rules and orders in order to uplift indigenous people and recognize their depth of knowledge, their place, their their land, maybe give some land back. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's this whole idea, right, of like settlers tend to treat decolonization as like this metaphor. Whereas sure. it's impossible. Whereas actual decolonization will require like systemic overhaul. Yes. And that and, and publishing is one of the many systems that mm-hmm. that is, you know, settler in nature, colonial in nature. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, like decolonizing that uh is it's a big job, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think the colonial lens that we place on what indigenous literatures are is a big part of the problem. Like, I think that there's no reason why a teenager couldn't read Monkey Beach, right? Right. And and I do I do know that now it's part of the high school curriculum here in BC. I think at grade eleven they read Monkey Beach. Okay. Yeah. Um. But you know, when I was young, I encountered this book in university in like a Canadian literature class at like mm-hmm. the third year level, right? Sure. So, so I think thinking about why we tend to read indigenous stories in particular ways, but more significantly, I think, market indigenous stories in particular ways. And, you know, we've talked about the problems of trauma porn and these kinds of concepts on the show before. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the work here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think one of the other ways that we can do this, and it's something we've had a conversation around, I believe, when we've covered Eden Robinson before, is to kind of familiarize yourself with what indigeneity is, right? It's not necessarily just something that's mystical. It's definitely Mm -hmm. not something that's just in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things I always really value about reading Robinson is that her books refuse. They refuse a reading that suggests that Indigenous people are like, yeah, they've been here since time immemorial, and that is their place. It's always looking back. Mm -hmm. Like her stories are so modern and contemporary. They refuse to relinquish the idea that there are still indigenous people living around us today. Well, and also I think she refuses a kind of pan indigeneity like approach. Right. She's like, no, this is a Heisla story. Like mm-hmm. these are Heisla people and this is how Heisla people differ from Hiltzik people. And, you know, she she's very specific about location and space and place and mm-hmm. culture and how those things are unique and vibrant. And yes, I think so important what you're saying, like living and like interact in the city, right? Like the fact that Lisa Marie sees spirits and ghosts when she's in east van Mm -hmm. you know like her beliefs and her way of being in the world are not incongruous with modern life i think Mm -hmm. that's something that robinson is really insistent about and and something that makes the books really powerful you know we've talked before about eden robinson saying like it's not magic realism it's just realism like this is realism as i understand realism to be and I think all of that is really important, right? Like allowing the book to exist on its own terms instead of in some category that's it's been given by by a settler institution like publishing, I think is really mm-hmm. important. Yeah. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why you and I don't necessarily feel like this book is from the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that's why it feels very contemporary and very relevant because there's nothing in this book that feels... 
I want to say timely. It's more that it doesn't feel dated. Like this yeah. book is coming up on 25 years old, Brenna, and yeah. yet it reads as though it could have been written this year. Totally reads like it could have been written this year. Absolutely. Like, in fact, I found, and we'll talk about it when we get to the film, but I found that the film, I don't I don't think the film is 100% sure what year it is set in always. No. <laughs> um, and you feel it in the film because of the visual piece, right? Like, they have to nail it. But in the mm-hmm. book, you bring your own imagination to the visual world of the text, which is right. so layered and so textured that, yeah, it could be, it could be anytime, anywhere. And, and Lisa feels like such a, God, it sounds so cheesy, but she feels like such a modern girl, right? And part of it is that, you know, you and I are probably about Lisa's age. It doesn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe before we move over to the film, do you want to touch on the tragic nature of this book? Because I think I kept getting taken aback at characters dying and sometimes so nonchalantly like when mick dies i had to go back and reread because i didn't realize that that's what had happened because it's not treated as this devastating thing in the book at the time you know the ramifications the ripple effect it has on lisa and where it sends her huge but at the time i was like wait mick is dead what what about the seals what happened well and a lot of the deaths are really quite grotesque right so yes really bad deaths in this book yeah it's not nobody's nobody's dying peacefully right Mm-mm. so like mick dies because a seal eats his face yeah. off off of his off of his body mama ooh gets ca- lit on fire in her kitchen <laughs> And so it's not enough that Lisa loses people. Lisa also bears witness to just just horrific, grotesque deaths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's there's something important in that. Like, I think the word for the way Eden Robinson writes about death is unflinching, right? Yeah. Like, you... you <laughs> She's not trying to make it easy for us. No, no, she's not. And you have to look right at these moments. And it again, it's another jarring thing in the film because the film is so uh, much more comfortable eliding. Like, it's so trepidatious. Yes, it is. Whereas Eden Robinson is not, right? Like the tragedies of Lisa Marie's life are on the surface, on her sleeve. Mm-hmm. They're very important to how she exists in the world and how she understands her place in the world. Right. And I think that sometimes there's this anxiety that we have as readers and i particularly mean we you and i joe Mm -hmm. about the prevalence of trauma in the stories that mainstream publishing is willing to publish by indigenous writers right and it's something we've also Mm. talked about when we've talked about trans narratives like whose story gets published and what kinds of stories are prioritized Uh that said I think that this is one of the most evocative books I've ever read when it comes to telling the story of intergenerational trauma and residential mm-hmm. schools. Like, we've read a million stories that tell us that there is inter- intergenerational trauma, right? Right. But the ways in which the parents make choices and very different choices that are very mm-hmm. clearly based on their own relationships to family and what that means. Right. Um, and the ways in which, you know, like with Josh, Josh was sexually assaulted when he was at residential school. He goes on to be a predator within the mm-hmm. community. Um, so we see that. But the way that Lisa Marie discovers everything in tiny pieces and fragments mm-hmm. and the story comes together so slowly 
like, I don't disagree with you. The book is obviously really, really tragic and a lot of people die. <laughs> but I also think that the way that those deaths work to tell a very particular story about right. what has happened to these people in this place, yeah. I find very powerful. Yeah, I mean, it almost is a puzzle narrative. Like, mm -hmm. I was reading this very quickly because it's a lengthy book. And obviously, you and I don't give ourselves a ton of turnaround between episodes. No. But also, it's super compelling. Like, once mm -hmm. you get on Robinson's wavelength and you're in tune with the way she's writing, these are fast reads. Yeah. But the problem is, is that I was so eager to see where the story was going next that I was actually missing some of that nuance and some of the like really carefully plotted character beats moments developments and so on because i just wanted to find out what was going to happen next oh and i was totally guilty of that too right i texted you last night and i was like wait does tabitha die yeah it's one of those things right where it's not until you finish the book and you reflect on what you've read and what the whole story was doing that you realize oh yeah there is a lot of death there is a mm -hmm. lot of tragedy like i described this to brian my husband as like indigenous trauma porn mm -hmm. but it doesn't read that way it was just when i finished it and i was like i think every character died except for her parents yeah yeah and you're like oh that's really upsetting like i'm really sad right now <laughs> but it it's also because i loved these characters yeah. even the crappy characters like the people who are bad like some of her friends at school you know even karaoke who's so flippant and kind of you know where you just want to shake her and be like girl get your act together you're yeah. really frustrating they're so fully realized like i i loved all of these people and to then reflect on the fact that nearly all of them are killed in this book in horrifying ways mm -hmm. it's deeply upsetting it is deeply upsetting. It is deeply upsetting. I will not take anything away from your feelings of sadness because <laughs> it is. But I do think like I want to linger on that idea that even the characters who are awful, you mm -hmm. care about and feel for. Yes. Like I think Robinson does such a good job of exploring where our motives come from and like why we do horrible things to each other. Like mm -hmm. there's something very human in the way she depicts even the bullies, even the yeah. rapists, like yep. these are all human beings. And part of it has to do with the fact that like Lisa Marie is herself not perfect. So it's not mm -hmm. like we're looking at this community through the eyes of someone who, you know, sees themselves as above or separate from. Right. And that has a powerful impact as well. Yeah. I. <laughs> it's bad. I kind of want to hold this book up as an example to other writers to be like, here's how you write a character who is frustrating and yeah. flawed and yeah. occasionally like you you honestly do just want to shake lisa marie and kind of be like girl what are you doing right now like yeah. i said it with karaoke but it's really more true with lisa marie <laughs> yeah and yet hugely compelling and captivating character like what a great protagonist i love her and the film does her real dirty so let's talk about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> contacting the dead Lesson one, concentrate on nothing and everything at the same time. What are you doing here? No. What are you doing here? I thought that if I left, that they would stop. You are gifted. Jimmy! 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 No, I have to stop him. 
are long gone. You, me, everyone, we're just humans. That's all we are, just humans. And that makes it okay? How could you just let him leave? Just stay out of this. Ah, you're not going anywhere without me. Remember them when they lived and loved. Imagine existing beyond the physical. If you're powerful enough for the journey, you must be powerful enough to return. You know, the only way to scare off a spirit is... <laughs> Disgusting. Bukhwala. Okay. So Monkey Beach was adapted in 2020. It is from a script co-written by Loretta Todd, who also directs. This is her feature fiction debut. She has a background in documentaries. And it was co-written with her by Johnny Darrell and Andrew Duncan. I don't mean to be dismissive, but the background of the two men who worked on this is in children's animation. Mm -hmm. And my main problem... And I have a lot of problems. I don't like this movie. I think it's a horrible adaptation and a not great film. Every one of my issues really comes back to the screenplay and how fundamentally it seems to misunderstand the book. Yes, but clearly you're wrong because it was nominated for a Canadian Screen Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, boy. I... I'm rolled my eyes and really had a, a quiet think to myself about how that came to be. Joe, as you know, it genuinely hurts my feelings when we have to say not positive things about Canadian cinema. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it really, and particularly, like we we have an Indigenous filmmaker here. We have yep. a primarily Indigenous cast. There are some standout moments and sure. standout performances. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Beach makes for a wonderful Adam Beach. I mean, Uncle Mick. it's Adam Beach, right? Yes. Like anybody who knows Adam Beach, like I think even our international audiences may have seen him uh, stand a role in Wind Talkers, the Nicolas Cage World War II movie. A lot of really good performances from Adam Beach, and he is so good in this role. Mm-hmm. But like most of the characters in the storylines, the movie does him dirty. Like yeah. he's in what, maybe three scenes? Yeah, he does not get nearly enough to do. And it's a shame because. I think Uncle Mick is a hard character to bring to life because Mm -hmm. you really have to be able to blend what is ultimately like an unreliable dude (laughs) with a lot of charm. And Mm -hmm. you have to be able to read his love for Lisa through the actions that he takes that are maybe not especially loving sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Adam Beach nails it. And so. Every time he's on the screen, I'm like, yay! And then he's The film not comes on the alive. Screen. The film really does come alive. The other actors are stronger when he's on set with them. Like, mm-hmm. those moments are where the film works so, so well. Yeah. Um, but there's not mm-hmm. enough of them. And in general, no. in general, it feels like a film that doesn't know what its strengths are. Yeah. And it feels like a film that doesn't know what to do with the plot and it it tries to make a very simple story out of an incredibly complex novel well and i think that's ultimately my biggest issue with this so you know i start the film 
And I'm like, okay, really enjoyed this book. I'm interested to see how they're going to do this because I kind of looked at the book as a bit of a sprawling intergenerational text. Sure, it's got like one protagonist, but it's really tackling a multiplicity of timelines and stories and characters. So we have our almost like audience surrogate proxy kind of person in Lisa Marie, but she's giving us insight into a whole depth of stories. Mm -hmm. And the film is like, here, we're going to plop you down when she is firmly an adult, like significantly Mm -hmm. aged up adult. Mm -hmm. She's got to be in her mid 20s. And it just wants to address like, she went on a bit of a bender in Vancouver. She's come back to Kitimat. She's trying to settle back into the community and touch base with the people she left behind. But it's almost entirely present day stuff with little flashbacks. So you're getting like a taste of an experience that she had with Mama U out in the woods. You're getting a taste of an experience where Uncle Mick comes to get her out of trouble at school. Like a taste of when she had a vision that Jimmy was going to die at one of his swim meets and she refused to move away from him to the point that her father said, you need to go sit down or else you're going to get in trouble. Well, and one of the shames of that is that that young actress playing the little girl version of Lisa Marie is actually Mm -hmm. one of the strongest performers in the film. Yes. So uh, teen Lisa is played by Micah Bryce Whiskey Jack. And you're right. She is really, really good. Like Mm -hmm. she's got these big captivating eyes and she just seems inquisitive and a little bit rebellious. Yeah, no, there really there's there's a lot of actually amongst the young performers, there are a lot of great moments. um, And we don't get enough of them. And I think honestly, Joe, I will tell you my problem with the film is Mm-hmm. Like there's a whole metaphor for my problem with the film in the opening beats of the movie okay. because one of the things that I like best about the book is how open-ended it mm. is. Yep. Does Lisa live or die? Not quite clear. Is mm-hmm. Tab okay? Her mom seems to think so, but her mom is not a reliable narrator, right? Like right. what is happening? Like that is such a strength of the book. <laughs> Yeah, and in the very first scene of the film, it's like Tabitha, who is played by Sarah Liss MacArthur, just disappears in thin air. So you're like, oh, well, she's dead. Okay, yeah, got she's, it. And that's the first thing you find out is she died two years ago, period, the end. And it's like, oh, I see. I see, mm-hmm. I see what we're going to mm-hmm. do here. <laughs> oh. <Yeah>. Everything <laughs> seems very simple. Like, this is... I'm going to try to not really come down on this movie, but I did not find the viewing experience pleasurable. I can't figure out if it's because we had just read the book and everything is so fresh in our minds. Like, I don't know if this movie would be Mm. okay if you haven't read the book and you just watched it by itself. I think even in that example, I don't think that this is a particularly well done film because it is too simple. Like, it's really paint by numbers in terms of here's a significant scene, but you don't even really understand the relationship. Like, Frank is introduced getting out of a boat. Frank is the is the boy that Lisa Marie, he was a bad boy that she fell in with him and his friends when she offended Erica. And then they've had this on again, off again, sort of like an unconsummated romance where they both clearly want to be together and neither one of them does anything about it. Mm-hmm. And this this character is introduced as an adult. He comes up to her when she's just come home. You don't even know who he is. You don't understand the nature of their relationship. And then there's no flashbacks to him as a teen 
Yeah. There's no flashbacks to him with his friends. So all of the school stuff is basically alighted. And that's hugely instrumental for mm-hmm. informing us who Lisa Marie is and why she grows up to be who she is as an adult or like a burgeoning adult. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I was just like, <laughs> where is Pooh? Where is Cheese? Like, why are we not dealing with this? She gets sexually assaulted in the book. And it's like a really important moment because that's when she technically loses her virginity. And it causes this massive fallout effect where like, Frank doesn't talk to Cheese anymore. Mm-hmm. And then she gets mad at Frank. And all of that is removed from the film. And I understand it's upsetting. And it's maybe telling indigenous stories that we've seen before and we don't want to repeat them i don't know but the film is so paint by numbers and it's so safe and it's so shallow yeah i kept getting frustrated brenna like i got really mad watching this movie (laughs) yeah i agree and i think i think that this does have a lot to do with that we have just read the book and that we care so much about the book and the characters because Mm -hmm. like we should be clear that other people have really liked the film (laughs) Right. We're we are in the minority. We're definitely the (laughs) outliers. But I do think it comes back to the adaptation. Like I think the script of the Mm -hmm. film misses the point of the book. And it's fair to say that the film and the book can have different points, but I don't know what the point of the film is. I have to say. No. I mean, I was particularly flummoxed when we get to the end of this movie and it just kind of feels like a Okay, well, I guess I'm okay with things. Like, Jimmy has just died, but I saw his spirit surrounded by the spirits of Mama Ooh and Mick and some other people that are not characters in this movie, but they're there on the beach, and that's okay. And Lisa Marie's just like, cool. I'm like, what am I meant to take away from this? Like, it doesn't feel like a journey of self-discovery like the book does. It just feels like we're telling the story of this girl coming back home. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the actress playing Lisa Marie, Grace Dove, and I. Mm-hmm. this is not a critique of Grace Dove at all. And if you want to see her actually like rise to her tremendous talents, um, watch Alaska Daily, with, okay. which she stars in with Hilary Swank. She's one of the journalists in that series. Mm. She's she, And I should say, given where I sit, she's a Schwetmick woman. Um, okay. Excellent actress in other roles. Here's the Just thing. Just not here. Grace Dove was 30 when they made this film. She looks 30 in this movie and it makes no sense Mm -hmm. contextually to have a 30 year old woman in this role because now it's not a coming of age story no the writers still seem to be writing a coming of age story but not a particularly effective one Mm -mm. and like i just think it comes down to ultimately the script and the casting really fail the novel and again it's okay if that's not what you're looking for but this is an adaptation show (laughs) And we are here to talk about the adaptation. And as an adaptation, I do not think that it is successful. No, I I do think it's quite a stunning failure. Like, I've not seen an adaptation that misses the mark like this outside of some of the, like, YA kind of fantasy books that we've read where, like, the film is a $150 million action spectacular. And you're just like, oh, well, that's not what that book was trying to do. Like The Giver comes to mind in terms of spectacular failures in adaptations. I would say that this is not that far off from that. And I never thought I would say that about something that's, it's not realist, but 
I wouldn't have thought that you could go so wrong with this. And I do think a lot of it is scripting. I do think a lot of it is casting. Unfortunately, I'd say about half of this cast is a little wobbly when it Mm -hmm. comes to talent. Like their ability to execute the characters is not always good. Mm -hmm. I do want to give a shout out to the actor who plays Jimmy because it is Joel Ouellette who would later go on to embody another Eden Robinson character because he's the main character in Trickster, which Mm -hmm. is the adaptation of Son of a Trickster. Oh, God, he's a charismatic actor. Holy cow. (laughs) And that's the thing, right? Like, I think the problems become more evident when you get someone like Adam Beach or Joel Ouellette on the screen in in a role that they seem to be gelling with better. And it just makes everybody else who's not as well cast or the characters aren't as fleshed out like you're you're really seeing the incongruities on screen. Like yeah. one of the things we haven't talked about, Brenna. So this is a three million dollar movie, and there's oh God, don't we? Do we have to talk about this part? There's special effects. Oh my God, they're so bad. The redheaded man oh, that Lisa Marie sees, which is like her her kind of spirit warning that like something bad is happening. It's a a sort of trickster figure that she sees, and it is rendered so visually unappealing in oh this my movie God, i was aghast so it's really upsetting how bad it is joe <laughs> like i don't know what this visualization is well and have this glitter effect and they, oh they shrink him mm-hmm. so that he can appear like on on her bedside table and stuff he looks like a hobbit or a gnome or something weird like yeah that. and he's also there's like the scale is not correct no. so like even if it's him shrunk down he's proportionately wrong against like the lamp on her bedside table and things and it's really it's like deeply off-putting and I, it was a disappointment to me because the first sort of spirit creature that you see is the sasquatch-esque character of Bugus, right and right. you see him earliest in the film he's the first spirit to kind of appear and he's excellent because he's like this sort of bearish blurryish figure thing Mm -hmm. that goes behind a tree and it's just the illusion of the spirit um and it works really well and i was Mm -hmm. like oh good 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 they're just gonna do that we're we're in for an okay ride (laughs) and then they don't they don't stick with that nope and i really wish they had (laughs) it's so distracting it's so distracting in what is meant to be some of the most um significant moments for lisa's character development so that doesn't Mm -hmm. help either frankly yeah and 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 it's tricky right because i ended up leaning a little bit more towards appreciating the spectacular supernatural elements in trickster the two books that we've read in that series Mm -hmm. i was actually hoping we would get a little bit more of that and that's not really the story we're telling with monkey beach it is a little bit more grounded and Mm -hmm. we have these two sort of fantastical elements in yes the the sort of sasquatch and then this red-headed apparition that informs lisa marie about someone dying Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that was part of the struggle like how do you introduce these two more unique characters or elements of the story into what is a much more grounded narrative but they ultimately end up standing out and becoming a distraction as a result because it takes away from the world of the film. And they keep coming back to the script and some of the directorial choices because, you know, 
I just think we have seen so many of these actors in other roles that they succeed in. For example, mm-hmm. you know, Glenn Gould, we we saw him in Rhymes for Young Ghouls playing Joseph and we like we applauded his so role good. in that piece, right? Yeah. And so I think the problem is in the leadership of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a real shame to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I don't think we need to belabor the point anymore. Like the film did not work for us as an adaptation. For me, it didn't work personally as a standalone film. Invest this hour and 45 minutes in reading the novel. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You'll get a lot more out of the novel than you mm-hmm. will the film, unfortunately. Agreed. Shall we play some YA bingo? Please do. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right, Monkey Beach, what you got? So obviously abuse, both tests. (laughs) We have a female director, Mm -hmm. uh, co-screenwriter. We also have obviously a female writer. Yep. I'm going to go with aged up in a bad way. Not in a good (laughs) way. For the film, not in a good way. Not in a good way. Um, The book has lots of road trips. I think that gets lost in the film, which is a shame because I wanted to spend more time in the scenery. I think there are moments that are really beautifully shot in the Mm -hmm. film. Oh, yeah, this this definitely feels like an advertisement to visit the West Coast and mm-hmm. get a taste of that to the point where there were times where I thought, I don't need a travelogue. Like, <laughs> I would rather be spending this time meaningfully with my characters. But yes. the scenery is gorgeous. The scenery is gorgeous. Um, we've got we've got bad CGI, Joe. Oh, boy. I mean, I really wish we didn't, but we do. Okay, so obviously we're on borrowed time because mm. we're hoping to find Jimmy before bad news arises. That does not happen. It does not happen. We have uh, some good friendships, I think, in both the adults as well as the kids. And I would say stunt casting for Adam Beach, because if you are a Canadian and you follow any kind of awareness of Indigenous actors, Adam Beach is like one of our most prized possessions. That sounds horrible. Adam Beach is one of our most prized like gems within the acting world. Agreed. Obviously, we've got dead bodies up the yin-yang. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. And we're filmed in the territory now known as Canada. Mm Mm-hmm. Guts, magic supernatural, even though uh, (laughs) we didn't like its representation in the film, it's there in the book as well. Mm -hmm, Agreed. Do we think of her as a chosen one? I don't, personally. I did see some people reference the film as an indigenous superhero film. I read that review. That was a... Sorry, don't put that in. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bleep it out. It's fine. Thank you. Yeah, I was very confused by that one. Um, That to me says, you don't know anything about indigenous people, and maybe you need to educate yourself a little. It was a weird review anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I think. Is that everything? I think so. Does that mean we get a... We don't get a line. I don't think so. Oh, well. Yeah. We weren't in it to win it with this one, Joe. I did love the book. I'm so glad we read the book. Yeah. I mean, we've had this on our radar for quite some time. I was hopeful we were going to have a similar experience to what we got with Trickster and Son of a Trickster. And unfortunately, maybe what we've learned is that Eden Robinson is a challenging author to adapt because she's really doing the work. She is. But it did remind me that um, when we let a little more time pass, we have the third book in the Trickster series to read. So we should put that on our list. Yeah. Thank goodness. Something to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I 
think that'll do it for Monkey Beach. But Brandon, before we say where we're headed next week, if people want to write in about book club, Yay! how would they do so? So you got to get it in your thoughts for book club. And we are reading Apple by Eric Gansworth, um, which I think will be an interesting piece to reflect against some of Ian Robinson's work. It's a very, very different approach to indigenous growing up so mm-hmm. i'm excited to tackle it so yeah uh if you want to get in touch with us about book club you can find us uh hkhspod at gmail.com for your long form stuff um joe where do they find you i can be reached at b still my remote and that's the letter b and i'm at brenna c gray that's gray with an a and um, what is next for us, Joe? Not thinking towards book club. <laughs> no, we're just doing a little mini-sode next week. So we're going to watch a little movie about uh, reproductive health and access. <laughs> it's got another road trip to it, Brenna. So we're going to be talking about 2021's Plan B. We sure are. Yay. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun one, folks. Just a little bit of a content warning. This She's is a hard a- R. It's a hard art. It's a gross out comedy movie with yeah. some good messaging kind of buried beneath the gags, but um, you will see full dong. So be prepared. <laughs> All right. So with that cheerful warning, um, <laughs> until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. It's an interesting... Oh, sorry. <clears throat> We're both very scratchy today, huh? I know. What's that about? <laughs> February. Probably getting sick again. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> I think taking indigenous fiction out of the box that publishing places it in and examining, examining, Christ. in order to uplift indigenous people and recognize and acknowledge their, their wealth of knowledge. Nope. All right, Monkey Beach, what you got? Hang on, can you hear that? No. Okay, good. The cat's using the litter box. I just wanted to make sure you <laughs> couldn't hear it. Okay. I mean, I really wish we didn't, but we do. Oh. Okay, now I can hear it. Okay, hang on. God damn it, George. <laughs> Are you done? <laughs>